Welcome to My Beauty Life with me, Verity Clark. This week, my guest is Karen Hobbs, a Cancer Information Officer for the Eva Pill, a gynaecological research charity. Aged just 24, Karen was diagnosed with cervical cancer. After undergoing surgery and being declared cancer-free, Karen began performing a stand-up comedy routine called Tumor Has It. Through her work with the Eva Pill and her cancer comedy, Karen is trying to break taboos about below the belt cancers, as well as raise awareness about spotting potential cancerous symptoms. Hi Karen, thank you so much for coming in today. Ta-da! You're here. I'm here, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So, we first met when in March, when Feel Unique were doing a talk for International Women's Day, and that's when I first started hearing about your story and your work with the Eve Appeal. Mm -hmm. So, for a little background info for all our listeners, Mm -hmm. so you were 24 when you got diagnosed with cervical cancer. Yes. So what were you doing in your life at that point? Um, So we'll go back to the end of 2014. Time travel. So what was my life like then? Um, I was 24. I was at university. I was doing my drama degree in the evenings at Birkbeck. So that sounds really intellectual. Um, I had a day job as an office manager um, in a posh office by Bond Street Station because I could walk to uni in the evenings and it was paying the bills and I didn't want to get a maintenance loan, just a tuition loan. And I was, I I kind of, I was at uni because I'd tried to be an actress and done like two plays and then thought, I need to educate myself a little bit more. So yeah, I had a day job, but my best friend, Big Claire, because we're both very tall, so we called each other the big girls. She was, no, we're not fat. Well, you're not. I can vouch that. But thank you. Big Claire might be. No, Big Claire isn't either. We're just we're just like both over five foot nine, just like really tall and slender. And um, she was my uh, HR manager, and then we became best friends. So it was actually really fun going into work, and your best friend's your boss. Um, but yeah, so uni office manager job, and uh, I was dating a guy who is twenty three and a half years older than me. I'm going to say younger then. That is terrifying. No, I wasn't dating a toddler. That's illegal. Uh, So yes, that is what my life looked like. Oh, and I was living in a place with two very good friends who I love in Balham, but the room was so small that the wardrobe was in the living room. There we go. Summary. Ooh. Go out a fair amount and just living life. You know, I was like a 24-year-old in London, you know, dating an older guy that was never really around. Yeah, I was living life. Let's go to your first beauty moment. Okay. So my first beauty moment, speaking of being a party girl and loving a drink, is any type, it doesn't matter how cheap or expensive, whatever I could get my paws on, coal eyeliner. So a black coal pencil. And this is my first moment because I was looking at some photos on Facebook, you know, when memories come up of however many years ago, that horrible time travel much worse than the time travel we're doing and it came up from when I went to Thailand when I was 19 and I was looking at the photos of me at a full moon party which is a complete disaster I don't encourage anybody to go to a full moon party you won't remember it and I looked at my those photos haunt me actually 
I mean, I look ridiculous. I look like a weird possessed doll. And I looked at my eyes and I had eyeliner. You know when you start it in the corner of your eye near your nose? Yeah, so it's basically on my nose. What did you call it? Waterline. Oh, you're such a profesh. Well, that's why they pay me the big Verity. price. Verity. Yeah, that's why we're doing this they podcast. They don't. <laughs> Give them all. Ah. Um, I started in my water corner. Waterline. Yeah, we'll go with that. What's it called? Waterline. Waterline. And would go inside my eye under all the way around and then up inside my eyelid on top as well so there was a full thick black rim and at the time I thought you know it really accentuated my emerald peepers but kind of nine years later I looked at it and just thought I looked like I was just so desperate for a dance it just looked so kind of Oh, bless you, 19, which sounds really patronising because obviously I want 19-year-olds now and everybody at any age to do whatever they want and go and have whatever fun they want. But to speak to that 19-year-old Karen, I was like, oh, bless you. So coal eyeliner's got the kind of attachment of parties, trying very hard to be cool. And also I started wearing it when I'd go out at sort of 16 or 17 and borrow a friend's sister's ID I looked nothing like these people who I was pretending to be for that Friday night vodka and lemonade. It was ridiculous. So yeah, coal eyeliner has good memories of trying too hard at a young age. So then you're part of girl, semi, living in London. And then what made you go to the doctors? So I, for a few weeks, had been bleeding a little bit in between periods, but hardly anything at all. Like no more than... I'll say the word discharge, no more than a bloody discharge. I wasn't worrying, wasn't in pain, you know, just thought, oh, I went on holiday and back to back to my pill because I didn't want to bleed on holiday. Maybe it's, you know, a breakthrough breed because it's, it's really common to yeah, bleed a little bit. Yeah, so anybody listening and thinks, I've bled a little bit in between periods. If you're on the pill and you've continued the packets kind of more than one in a row, it's super common to have a bit of bleeding in between because your body is do a bleed yeah. and you're not letting it so don't worry um God, so the guy editing this is gonna have a right laugh he is isn't he <laughs> not laugh you can be educated don't laugh at my illness whoever <laughs> you are um so a bit of bleeding in between periods but then the kind of alarm bells were when i was having sex with my boyfriend the much older much guy older who i refer to in so i also do stand-up comedy i'm really funny uh i refer to him as gerard butler right because he looks a bit like gerard so butler fish. No, he's not actually Gerard Butler, by the way. I don't want people Imagine. to think, oh my God, Karen dated Gerard Butler. I didn't. <laughs> Believe me, I would be earning a lot more money if I did. And I was telling this story. Maybe pretend. Okay, it's Gerard Butler. And we were having sex. And after he pulled his penis out of my vagina, mm-hmm. because that's what happened, um, there was a lot of blood on him and on the bed sheets where I'd been lying and around my legs. And it wasn't... A lot, like an alarming amount. Yeah, like a oh, what's that? It, it wasn't a little blob. It wasn't the kind of dark period colour. It was fresh, bright blood. And I thought I'd been cut or he'd been cut or snapped. Is it the banjo yeah. string on it? Whatever. I don't really know about. I only know about gyny stuff. I don't care about men. Um, and I panicked and then we checked ourselves and there wasn't anything. So it was internal. Mm-hmm. So he thought it might have been because he was too big for me. Classic man. Classic, Classic Gerard, Gerard Butler. Gerard. So I said, yeah, that might be it, but no. And it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. I was like, darling. Uh, so I went on to Google, and Google is a funny one because there are horror stories on Google, and people say that, you know, people can become hypochondriacs because yeah. of what the internet says. Because, be dead in five 
exactly because if you put in if you had a slight like backache right now talking to me you could type it into google and within minutes you could convince yourself that you were about to become paralyzed or like a tumor on your spine so it's it's a trap in that sense but for me it was a lifesaver because I had no knowledge about what this bleeding meant. I was 24. I hadn't been for a smear test. I'd never had any other gyne problems. So never had a vaginal examination. So that world was shut off to me. You hadn't felt ill at all? Nope, nothing at all. It didn't even hurt when we had sex. It was just blood on the bed sheets. So I put in bleeding after sex into Google and the results that came up were um, it's either going to be an STI, like sometimes chlamydia can cause bleeding, sometimes a hormonal imbalance if you're on the pill or, or other types of contraception, a bit too much estrogen can cause your cervix to get a bit angry and bleed when... Um, being contacted with you know like a sex toy penis whatever you put up there um and then the last thing that it could be but very unlikely because it's rare especially in younger women was cervical cancer so I panicked when I saw the c word on the internet because I just thought you know maybe I'd torn something in my vagina and then to see the word cancer on the internet when you hadn't even felt anything was huge but it was much more likely to be one of the other things so I booked myself into an STI clinic because I could get an appointment there quicker than my doctors. Right. They said there was nothing um, STI-wise wrong with me. And I didn't think there would be, but I was kind of disappointed because it meant it might be something else. And you're like, I don't often wish I had chlamydia, but yeah, yeah but like, please, Lord. Um, so booked the doctor's appointment and went in and said, I'm bleeding in between periods and after sex. Um it's not an STI. I really hope it's not cancer. That was one of the... F- I get very, like, panicky and worried. Yeah, so you were panicky. Yeah, I was, because it wasn't an STI. So we're ruling things out. Yeah. So it was more likely it was cancer than it was before I went for the STI check. So I, then I said, but I am on the pill. I've been on the pill for years, so it might be the hormonal imbalance. And the lovely lady said, it probably is because you're so young. It's hardly, you know, there's hardly any chance at all it's cancer. So 24 is very young still, yeah. statistically. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not normal for a 24-year-old to get cervical cancer. Uh, so I'm very rare and special yeah. to any potential sponsors who are listening. <laughs> uh, so she did a smear test for me because I was a few months away from 25 but had potential symptoms of something the matter so she looked uh, put the speculum in uh, took the swab and said I'll send this off for results as as you do when you go for a smear test but I'm going to send you on a two-week gynae pathway to the hospital because I can see something's wrong just by looking at you it's a two-week gynae pathway so if you have a suspected gynae cancer and it doesn't even have to be a huge suspicion it just has to be kind of something that's flagging up to the the medical practitioner whether it's the nurse or the doctor they can put you on a two-week gynae pathway which basically means within two weeks you'll go and from that appointment you'll go to your local hospital or wherever the nearest kind of gynae department is and you'll be investigated in whatever test you need for the potential cancer that they could be concerned about but that sounds really like scary. Even people who have an abnormal smear test result, yeah, which, is quite common. Yeah, which isn't you know uncommon at all, um, go, have to go on this pathway. So it's whenever there's a suspicion, however small it is, there's a two week referral. So that's good. 
It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Sometimes it can take people a long time to get there if the doctors think, oh, it's nothing gynae related. Like ovarian cancer doesn't often present itself as a gynae issue. It's like bloating's a symptom. Yeah. So GPs will often go down a kind of gastro digestive pathway. So it sounds like, oh, if you think you might have a gynae cancer, within two weeks you'll be at the hospital. Sadly, that isn't always the case. It's not always that smooth. But I was really lucky and was put on this pathway. So two weeks later, I had a colposcopy, which is a camera into your vagina to have a look around at the vagina and cervix. And you this never had a smear test or no, anything like that? No, nothing. So by now I'd had three examinations. So I had the STI clinic, the doctor smear test, and now this. So within like three weeks, I'd had all of this. So it was, yeah, it was really weird. Um, getting used to being seen in kind of a medical way rather than sexual. And who sure. were you talking to your boyfriend and your parents about this? So I told my boyfriend, I told Gerard Butler that I was worried, but he was very, um, to be to be honest, he was a horrible boyfriend and a horrible person. And I don't know why we spent a year and a half together. You know, if because he was Gerard Butler, because because yes, because his career took off. <laughs> that's why. Um, and he would be very kind of brushing it off and I thought at the time in a positive way but I think it was because he probably couldn't be bothered he's like oh no it'll be fine um friends had been who had had abnormal smear tests because again it's not uncommon to have an abnormal yeah. result had been for this colposcopy so my friend Helen Fisher who I went with had had it and it was you know nothing to worry about so I wasn't too scared about this um but then the lady examining me after a few minutes said I'm just going to get somebody more senior and that was alarm bells and that was the alarm bells at Verity Darling. And I was like, oh, okay. This Were is you a... on your own? Yeah, in the room at the time. So when she went to get somebody and I was just lying there with my feet in the stirrups thinking, I might have cancer. And then the, the Mr. Carter came in in his nice suit, looked at me for um, a much shorter time than she had and took a biopsy, which is a small kind of tissue sample of the area you're examining wherever that may be um I got dressed and I just said to him is it cancer and he obviously explained we have to wait for the results of the biopsy because they don't want to say yes or no either way and I was kind of pushing him for a guess um and he said I've been doing it for 30 years and I'd be surprised if it wasn't so at that moment going from the stirrups thinking oh I might have cancer I thought okay I probably got cancer yeah. so that was the moment rather than the confirmation a couple of weeks later that, yes, it was cancer, the moment he said, I'd be surprised if it wasn't, that was my moment. That was my kind of air quote life-changing moment rather than the confirmation itself. I don't think I've ever had, apart from maybe when my dad phoned me to tell me my cat had died, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever felt pure shock like that before. And I think that must have been... What it was, I haven't yeah. felt it since, so I don't know, but it was this weird kind of outer body, couldn't stop the tears. It was, it was, yeah, it was a weird overload of senses where I felt kind of numb, but also could feel everything. It was a very, only people in the special cancer club know. Um, so sorry, you're excluded. Um, yeah, it was just a weird, it was a weird, weird, horrible feeling that is nothing like I've ever felt before. So now we've got to that, now go to the info. That moment. Let's go to the other side and do your second, second beauty, beauty moment. moment. Let's go from cancer yeah, to beauty. Is that a bit weird? 
No, like when you're a talented speaker, writer, and performer, you can just flip between. Exactly, that's why I got you on here. I knew you'd be capable of doing that. Or just swim between. So, my second beauty moment is so I'm an only child, mm-hmm. um, and I've got my mum and dad at home, and obviously lived away for years, but at home, um, would. My mum doesn't wear a lot of makeup. She does her eyes. So she does sometimes eyeshadow, but always mascara, always, always mascara. So if Susan, my mother, mm-hmm. has one piece of makeup on, it's mascara. So from quite a young age, I was like playing with her mascara. And then when I started to wear it properly, I would just wear what she wore. So for as long as I can remember, um, it hasn't changed. We wear Max Factor mascara. It's just what we get. At the moment, it's the full slash effect, which I love. Uh, But yes, the Hobbs family are Max Factor girls. And the second moment is when, um, so my dad would obviously see the kind of beauty products in the bathroom but he doesn't care he doesn't know so he wouldn't really know he doesn't wear mascara no he doesn't I would love it if he did Adrian, <laughs> Go on, Adrian. dark horse Go on, Adrian. Um, so he would see the things in the bathroom but not really know what they were and he came back from the shops one day I can't remember how old I was but old enough to remember and he had three of the max factor mascaras with him and he said oh i saw these in boots they were three for two so i got you three and i was like wow thank you he was like yeah these are the um the dipsticks for your eyes aren't they and he didn't know what the word was and i was like how have you got to like whatever age you are in your 50s and don't know the word mascara like you don't have to wear mascara to know what it is but it was it kind of just showed me the real difference between like the men and the women in the house it was very stereotypical that me and my my mum would get giddy with excitement at three free mascaras and my dad was like oh I saw these dipsticks so yeah that's a good moment where it's kind of very typical girls beauty dad hasn't got a clue moment oh so we're in the hospital room just found out you've got cancer yeah who did you call first so I went outside into the waiting area because I had to leave the appointment room and Helen Fisher was there and she already knew kind of guessed what was going on because Helen Fisher sounds like a fictional character she is real I have friends we live together now and co-own Christopher Marlowe and Arthur Miller our rescue tabby cats okay so anyone can check my social media and see that it's true again oh. that sounds like fiction again Christopher Miller Christopher Marlowe and Arthur Miller do you not know your playwrights I was in the crucible as Arthur Miller the crucible yes mm. and Christopher Marlowe of Faust Dr. Faust. Intellectual podcast. Here we are. Here we are, crossing mascara with yeah. literature. Um, so she was with me and she'd seen the more senior guy, Mr. Carter, rush into the room that I was in. So when I came out and was upset, she immediately kind of guessed what had happened. So we kind of sat there for a while, just kind of taking it in because, as I said, it's a really weird feeling. You, you kind really of have, have to. to no, I didn't really know how to like walk out to the tube station it was a kind of overload of emotions and stuff so we sat together in the waiting room for a while and then went on the tube back to the flat in Balham because we were at St George's Hospital in Tooting big up South London and I phoned my mum and dad and I spoke to my dad first and I phoned them and tried to kind of downplay it because even though Mr Carter had said it probably is cancer. It doesn't have clear confirmation. Exactly. I didn't have the bit of paper that said it, and I thought there might be a chance. I mean, there's a there's a chance with most things in life. Like, I thought there might be a chance it isn't cancer. And I know, especially because we weren't 
next to each other face to face it was over the phone and I knew how much my mum and dad would worry with a phone call like that it would be much worse so I thought I'm just gonna ease them in gently and then if it is cancer which it probably is but might not be we'll deal with it then because I couldn't face from hearing that which was the biggest shock ever I couldn't then deal with telling my mum and dad it probably was cancer it was just too much so I phoned my dad and said you know it might be cancer you know and then passed him over to my mum and said it might be cancer and they were very um they were quite surprised because that's an odd sentence to suddenly hear from your daughter exactly but the way I'd worded it I admit that I was very kind of positive and Probably not. Welcome it's to really common to have this me, kind of maybe question mark hanging over you when you've had this bleeding. Let's just find out. But then when, uh, so my mum came with me to the results two weeks later. And then when I saw my doctor and he said, okay, so I can confirm it is cancer. I almost didn't feel anything because I'd... You'd already gone through that shock. Exactly. I mean, it was still horrible to have it confirmed and that little like scrap of hope got put in the bin. Um but it wasn't as bad as the the first kind of yeah I think this is cancer moment but my mum fell to pieces and it was horrible to see her like she started blaming herself thinking what more could I have done so most cervical cancer is caused through the HPV virus human papilloma virus um which is passed on through skin to skin sexual contact so foreplay oral sex intercourse whether it's two women two men man and woman kind of intimate contact can pass this virus and most sexually active adults will get it at some point in their lives but our immune system is built to get rid of it but exactly like you might have it right now and by the time you have your next smear test it might not be there and you'll never know but if you had one right now it might show up um and there are a couple of strands that cause most cases of cervical cancer and if you get one of those strands most of the time your body will get rid of it but if you can't get rid of it because of your immune system not doing its job properly and it's one of the kind of high risk strands then it can lead into the abnormal cells which are what a smear test looks for and if the abnormal cells aren't caught or treated um kind of in a timely fashion then it can develop over a quite a while into cervical cancer um and so because it is and he was kind of explaining the doctor all of this because i didn't know i don't know what hpv was so hpv is only you only get that through sexual contact Yes, I mean, there's a kind of theory that, you know, how parents sometimes kiss their kids on the mouth and kind of that type of affection, that it could be passed that way, but it's not as likely because it's not as much kind of skin and body involved as there is with, you know, two vulvas or two penises and that type of thing. So it's pretty much all of the time sexual contact. And condoms prevent a little bit against it. They help because obviously you're covering the majority of one or two of the organs involved but if you're foreplay and like the scrotum and stuff so it doesn't cover the whole area that's enjoying itself it just covers part of it so they help but don't prevent entirely so my mum so the reason I mentioned condoms is because the doctor was explaining kind of how this comes about and my mum was saying should I have told her to always use condoms even with long-term boyfriends because I hadn't used condoms with people I'd been with for a while. You know, I'd, you know, started off using condoms, go for an STI, STI check when you're, you know, 
exclusive I hate that word exclusive it sounds like an American teenager like we're exclusive now um you know that's kind of what lots of people do you check that you're all healthy good to go and then you stop using condoms because they're a pain and it feels better and that's okay you know it's not irresponsible to do that um it's also fine to use condoms for the rest of your life no judgment and my mum was worrying that she should have told me to use condoms at all times so then the doctor explained about you know the rest of the sexual contact that doesn't involve condoms um you know my mum would say should I have told her to you know not have sex and the doctor was like no because it's a part of life and if you want to you should so there was a lot of kind of she felt exactly because we're the two girls in the house so she thought she should have taught me the ways of being a woman a bit better um yeah it was so she was very upset and kind of upset herself upset for me and yeah that appointment when they confirmed it was cancer for me wasn't as bad but for her was absolutely horrible yeah and to see your mum in that state is it's a horrible feeling like you it's role reversal completely yeah you're suddenly looking after them Mm. and then so how do they explain it to you what were kind of the next steps I mean is it staged Mm. like other cancers do they say you've got staged like one two yeah so they knew from the biopsy that it definitely was cancer but didn't know kind of how big or nasty it was so the next step was having an MRI scan to see kind of where if it had spread um and if it had where an mri scan on the gynae kind of pelvic area is not always helpful sometimes it is great but it's not surprising if they say oh that didn't help us in the examination so that happened to me obviously to add to the drama so that was a waste of time um and so i had an examination under anesthetic an eua where a camera went into all three holes so bum, wee and vagina. And this was looking, whilst I was asleep, thank God, this was looking at the kind of the bowel area, the womb, the bladder, everything kind of in the pelvis, because if it was going to have spread, it would have gone to that. Exactly. So really luckily, when I woke up from that very brief kind of surgery, but it sounds dramatic to say surgery when I woke up 45 minutes later. Um, the Yeah, exactly. I went to sleep. I was starving afterwards. It, oh my God, I was so hungry. Oh, it was amazing. Um, yeah, have anaesthetic if you ever want a good sleep and a meal afterwards. Uh, so he came in and said that they couldn't see any spread of the tumour and that was almost like being told I hadn't had it in the first place. Right. It was amazing. Yeah, exactly. So they determined that the cells and the kind of level of the cancer within the tumor was quite nasty so it was a grade three which means it yeah so it means it was naughty but the stage which is the size was 1b so it was 1b grade three so small but nasty but that meant that it probably would be treated with just a surgery and for me that was better than a huge tumor that had to you know involve having loads of my organs taken out but that wasn't very nasty if that makes sense so you know i mean it feels weird to be like oh i was so relieved that it was only small only a small bit of cancer yeah i was like you know only a small bit of cancer um but you know every cloud so i had an operation called a radical trachelectomy which takes out your cervix your surrounding tissue because they need to make sure that the margins are clear takes out your cervix yes the whole cervix and the top kind of third of my vagina so if you imagine the sort of cervix and vaginal tunnel on a diagram and kind of scribble out the cervix and scribble out the top third of the vagina and kind of just put a little sort of stitch in place so that sperm can get in and period flow can get out that's kind of what yeah so the fertility kind of issues 
maybe a bit too strong a word. So I have never been pregnant before, so I don't know how naturally fertile I am. Um, but as far as I know, I don't have any womb or ovary problems. So my ovaries are just as healthy as they were pre-cancer. So I can get pregnant um, and my womb is, as far as I know, fine, but I wouldn't be able to give birth naturally. Um, because I don't have a cervix to dilate. So you won't be winning there. No, I know, exactly. People say to me, Karen, how does that make you feel? That's really sad. Bloody great. I know. And I'm like, that's brilliant because I'll never rip hole to hole. Yeah. And they're like, that's disgusting. It's a thing. I know, I've heard about it. I thought you were going to say I've ripped I've hole to hole. <laughs> that's my story now. <clears throat> yeah, that's, now it's my time. Hello, I'm Verity. Um, yeah, I thought that's brilliant. I'll have a cesarean. So because there's a stitch put in place, um, as I said, to let sperm in and, and period flow out. Uh, the stitch isn't overly strong because it just can't be. So when the baby kind of gets a bit bigger and turns around, there's a kind of about 30% chance of the pregnancy going wrong because the stitch can't sort of support the baby and there's either a premature birth or a late miscarriage depending on what stage you're at. So a kind of easy way to summarize it is I'm about a third less likely to have a baby than however likely I was pre-cancer right, okay. but fertility wise is as good but it's the kind of birth and getting to the end of the pregnancy that is the kind of question mark okay and they explained all that to you mm-hmm. yeah so how quick was it from them doing the tests to then you having surgery and then the recovery time so it was less than two months from when I found out to when I had my surgery, which is amazing. And have had checkups every three to four months ever since. And they just do an examination and kind of every, a lot less, but maybe sort of every six to 12 months, a scan, um, sometimes an internal scan, depending on what kind of milestone we're at. So yes, kind of quite invasive as far as doctor's appointments go yeah. every few months just to check that nothing has come back and it's now at the stage where it's statistically very unlikely that it would so that's amazing that's I'm, yeah I feel very very lucky yes so how old are you now sorry I'm tw- I've just turned 28 okay so from finding out to then being kind of told you're clear that was what about a four month window about yeah like a three and a half to four month window to be told okay we'll just go for checkups Right, so now we're cancer-free. Let's go to your third beauty moment. My third moment. So cancer-free third beauty moment is actually going back to the hospital um, when I'd woken up from my very severe surgery and I was on a lot of morphine because the pain was absolutely insane. Um, And when you're on a morphine kind of drip, it can make, I didn't know this, but it can make your breathing quite shallow and you need a bit of extra oxygen. So I had the oxygen tubes in my nose and I kind of came to and then when I was sort of awake properly I realized that the sort of little plastic tubes that going down over my ears and along my cheeks and into my nose were really digging in and I looked in a mirror because I wanted to see what I looked like now I might be cancer free now the tumor was out and I was like oh my god do I look better no I looked much worse because I've been asleep for five hours was on morphine and been through a life-saving operation so I didn't look my best um and I there was kind of these red really deep marks on my cheeks and I didn't know what to do and the oxygen tank was quite kind of tight and pulling and I was all oh it was horrible and panicky and the lovely nurse um called 
is it Sersha or Sorsha? You know, Sorsha Ronan, the actress. Oh god. It's the sa- she has the same name. I never know how to pronounce it. Sorsha. I always say Sarah. I say Sarosi, but that's definitely wrong. That's like saying Siopan for Siobhan. Yeah, but I know Siobhan is Siobhan. Okay, well, there are other <laughs> names out there, Verity. I think it's Sersha or Sorsha. I feel awful for not being able to pronounce that. We know how to spell it. We know how to spell it. We can spell it. Can you? S A A O. Oh, I was putting an I in. R R Rose R O. That name that we all know, know and love, uh, she was like, I've got just the trick for you. So she'd obviously seen this a million times and she was brilliant. So she came in with these kind of wads of cotton wool and wrapped them around the oxygen tubes. So I've got an adorable photo where I look like a high hamster because I was off my face (laughs) on morphine with these kind of tampons stuck to my face. So my third beauty moment and kind of product that I'm praising is cotton wool. The humble cotton wool. Good old cotton wool. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, so you're cancer free. Mm-hmm. And so that has now really impacted on the way your career went. So you kind of gave up, or have you may not have given up, aspirations of being an actress? I am an actress. No, I'm not at all. Um, so I was. I went into my last year at uni and obviously it was a drama degree and we could do our dissertation, our final main project, performance and written on whatever we wanted as long as we could give an appropriate question and investigation that related to like the practice of mm-hmm. theatre and different um kind of theorists and all that sort of thing so my question was how does contemporary british performance interrogate the social attitudes that surround coping with cancer and you made that question up yourself yeah best thing I ever did mm-hmm. so I did 15 minutes of I had to do a long lot of writing and stuff because it was a bit more of an academic course than practical but the performance was 15 minutes of a humorous summary from when I got diagnosed to what was going on now I was trying to like write about it and blog about it so were you positive during the whole four months like did you try and find funny moments in that dark period I found funny moments like from day one because I've always enjoyed dark humour and kind of making a joke out of horrible situations because first of all it kind of pushes the boundaries and you feel naughty for doing that and um, but also it sometimes makes things a bit easier like life can be so crap yeah bad things happen to good people all day every day like what happened to me was the tip of the iceberg compared to what some you know better people than me have to go through um so I've always used humor as a kind of way to talk about things or to escape from things but with the cancer it was more to to be able to talk about it so as soon as I got diagnosed I started a blog right um quarter life cancer I wanted to call it quarter life crisis and I was about to start it you know like a girl in the city blogging on a on an office manager temp kind of reception desk and at uni in the evenings and then when I got cancer I thought this is amazing I'm going to swap the crisis for cancer I thought this is brilliant like it would definitely get shared now you know people in Korea will read it (laughs) so um and I, yeah, I don't know, like, it, I just found it really funny from day one. Like, Helen Fisher was engaged when I got diagnosed and I was doing the Mistress of Ceremonies stuff at her wedding. And the first thing I said was, if I lose my hair, because she bought me a really nice dress. And the first thing I said was, if I lose my hair, can you buy me a wig to match my dress? And that was when we were walking out of the hospital. 
and it was funny because yeah. I just had these visions of me like in this pink gold dress that she'd got with a wig with like these like pink sequins it just like it was ridiculous yeah, yeah just to exactly match it um and it looking really ridiculous and it was funny it was awful that I just found out I probably had cancer but it was funny to imagine me trying to conduct a wedding with a hideous wig on like it's and and so from then I thought okay lots of other funny stuff has happened where the cancer is like in the the private naughty area where you're only used to like sexual partners going now to have so many medical staff poking and prodding around it's funny because if it's not funny it's just so sad awkward and depressing so yeah from day one I was using comedy to kind of share what I'd gone through and I also realized not many people talk about gynae health issues in general like going for your smear test how important that is let alone having something super wrong and super bad luck happen in like your reproductive gynae intimate area like cervix vagina womb vulva ovaries Mm -hmm. so I felt it really important to give kind of a young person's perspective on what it's like when your cervix breaks so always using humor so then when it came to the dissertation I wanted to tell the story in a funny way and then from doing that I thought I'd always wanted to do stand-up comedy so I'd always enjoyed the kind of like comedy acting more than anything and I'd always wanted to try stand-up and then the way the dissertation went a lot of it ended up being stand-up me just kind of standing there telling in a humorous way what happened so I thought I'm gonna try and when I did my first five minutes oh my god babe I've never been so scared I I think it's the most terrifying thing standing up saying you need to laugh at me. Yeah, like literally waiting for the cancer results weren't as scary <laughs> as walking up to that stage. Oh my God, it's making me feel ill thinking about it. Like I was sweating. I almost shat myself. I'd done like five nervous poos beforehand. I was dizzy. It felt like I'd been told I had cancer all over again. Like it was awful, but it went well. Obviously not amazing okay. because I didn't know what I was doing. On the floor laughing? I mean, people are awkward about it. They're like, do I laugh at this poor girl who's been through this? Sometimes it's really awkward. Like, I'm not saying I'm a professional by any means, but I'm trying to do it more and more. And sometimes the gigs are... Hard work. Yeah, really hard work. You have to kind of really try and pull some type of sunshine out of what's happened because they're not going with the dark, kind of really naughty stuff. Yeah, they're going that's not something you should joke about and I feel like saying well it happened to me so I can say whatever I want um but I also understand that it's a very sensitive subject and might be too embarrassing or sensitive or awkward for people to laugh at so each to their own most of the time people laugh but of course it's not to everyone's taste like nobody likes everything yeah so you did your dissertation and then you thought I'm gonna make more of this yeah show. yeah so then it turned into an hour-long show about what happened mm-hmm. called tumor has it very yeah i was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> i was gonna go with like wrong womb or something but that was already taken so if tumor has it so i've got an hour-long show that i performed a lot kind of a year or so ago when i'd written it and was doing it more um but now i've kind of done it i'd like to do it a little bit more and then put it to bed i think it sounds really arty and wanky, but I think you know when it's time to lay a piece of work to yeah, rest. And you did the same material. Exactly, yeah. So you don't want to keep doing it and boring people that maybe come twice. So I feel like there are a few shows for the right occasion left of Tumor Has It. Mm-hmm. And then I want to put it to bed and then work on the next chapter, which is... And obviously I do 
gigs in between this like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes where other stuff that isn't cancer comes into play because hopefully I am funny and not just the girl who had cancer that's a bit funny. So I do try and talk about other stuff as well because I don't want to be a one-trick pony. Um, But yes, the next kind of bigger show will be about what happens when you make a show about cancer. What do you do do after that? Like, I haven't got cancer again. Like, if there was a recurrence... I know, like, something else happened. Like, oh, break a leg. Um... Like, yeah, if there's not a recurrence, what am I supposed to talk to? Yeah, like, your career's over. Yeah, I've got, I've got nothing else. Like, what do you do when you start out talking about the worst thing ever? Well, you can tell me your fourth beauty My moment. My fourth and then beauty maybe moment. Maybe you'll become a funny beauty writer. Is that a thing? Are you a funny beauty writer? Oh, God. I feel like you're funny. Well, thank you. That's on record now. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, amateur comedian, Karen Hobbs. My friends will be so upset that you've said that. Back to me. So my fourth beauty moment is um, the actual moment was when I'd just done Tumor Has It Mm -hmm. at the Edinburgh Fringe for August 2016. And I'd been with my boyfriend at the time, not Not Gerard Gerard. Butler. No. Let's backtrack. Mm -hmm. Did Gerard and you break up during during the, the whole ordeal? No. So it was about less than a year after I was diagnosed. So it was about... 10 months after I was diagnosed, we broke up. And he was a bad, bad man. Like, if I could look at the 24, 25-year-old Karen, like the 19-year-old with too much coal eyeliner, I would say, you are worth so much more than how he's treating you. So he... I mean, now I I do lots of stuff about him in the kind of non-cancer sets because what how he was and how he behaved is now hilarious but at the time was horrible so he is long gone um he's still alive yeah he's still alive but he's long gone from my he's provided ample material i hope he doesn't because he's so narcissistic that he would just be proud that he was the subject of my material he'd be like oh this is giving me and that you're calling him jerry butler you need to Come on, somebody else. He does kind of look like Gerard Butler, though, so he... That's the only good thing. Yeah, that's, like, the one saving grace. So, um, I mean, Gerard Butler's better looking, but, obviously. um, But, yeah, so he is nasty and horrible, so it was a different boyfriend, and we'd broken up at the end of the Edinburgh Fringe, and I went to New York to stay with my friends as soon as the Fringe was over because it was a cheap holiday because I was staying with them, so I didn't have to pay accommodation. And obviously, I got on Tinder as soon as I got to New York. I was like, I'm going to meet an American boy, get an American passport, and live in America, and he'll be jealous that I moved away and he didn't say his piece and catch me at the airport. So I went on to Tinder and I was staying... One of my friends who I was staying with was called John and I was in the spare room and he walked past me getting ready for one of the dates and it was such a hot September, which again sounds like the beginning of like a wanky art piece. Like, (laughs) it was an incredibly hot September in New York. I was in Brooklyn. I met the love of my life. The aircon was broken, so I had a fan. Like, ugh, go away, Karen. Um, So I was getting ready and it was so hot. Like, as soon as you get out of the shower, you're sweaty. It was it was almost unbearable, but I don't want to be ungrateful because we're in London and times are hard with the weather. But I was putting foundation on my face and it was just slipping and sliding off. Every time I moved, I was drenched in sweat. And John walked past and he said, what are you doing? Because I was like patting my face. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm trying to get my foundation to stick on. And he said, why don't you just go out without it? John. <gasps> John Maverick. <laughs> John. New thinker, John. And I was like, well, no, I can't. I said, just take it. I can't it. not wear makeup. No, right I now. can't not wear foundation. I said, just 
go out without it. It's not staying on your face. What are you going to do? So I kind of didn't have a choice. So I did just go out without foundation on. And it wasn't a great date, not because I didn't look amazing without foundation. He no foundation. He was like, Bleh. she's not that girl with the photo. No, he was just a bit weird and too short. I mean, okay. I'm five foot, I'm pushing five foot ten. So if people say they're five foot ten in their profiles, I expect them to be five foot ten. He was five foot nine on an extremely well healed day. <laughs> like it was not happening. Um and yeah, I went out without foundation on, and it's the first time in I can't remember since I started wearing makeup mm. apart from when I was in hospital when I didn't wear a full face really? yeah I mean maybe like the odd time nipping out to get the washing from the back garden but you know I went out with my makeup yeah, on makeup yeah exactly um so it was really weird to to do that and then when I got home and the tan faded slightly I felt I needed a little something but not as full coverage because I was enjoying the sort of fresh face look and it made my skin feel better um and it wasn't as dry not that I had very dry skin but you know it just looked and felt better so my fourth moment is John in New York telling me to not wear foundation and the product is CC cream yeah so I love color correcting cream so I love a little splash of CC cream just in my t-zone to even out a slight redness that I would get on my nose and chin just a light light little dusting so now you're hair back makeup girl exactly I mean I've worn foundation a couple of times to like a wedding Mm -hmm. but no apart from that you know, I don't have bad skin. So I thought I can't be bothered and it takes up so much time. And I think for special occasions or if it's what you want to do, great. But I realised that I didn't need to do it. I felt I should. So you didn't find love in New York, but you found CC cream. I found CC cream. It's arguably better. Okay, let's let's do the tagline. I didn't find love in New York. I found myself. There you go. like... But we've got one more beauty thing, oh, yeah, so I'll drop the mic in a minute. And also, I won't drop the mic because it's expensive. It's very expensive. It's expensive. I've been in such trouble. Ah. Okay, so you're doing your comedy, and then now you're working for the Eve Appeal. I am, yes. So what's your role? Well, tell us a little bit about what the Eve Appeal is. Yeah, so I was doing my blog and kind of through mutual friends met the CEO of the Eve Appeal, Athena Lamnosos. She's brilliant. And she said, do I want to come and do um, some talks or speak at a couple of events about my experience? Because, you know, I, I wanted to do that and was speaking out about it via my blog. So I said, yes, amazing. And then a job came up um, on the Ask Eve information service, which is an information service where with our gynae nurse specialist, who is called Tracy, she's my work mum and I adore her, um, people can call or email or message on social media and ask her any type of gynae question. And now through working with her for kind of over a year, I can answer a lot of questions, but she is the professional. Mm-hmm. So if people want that kind of extra medical advice, she, they talk to her. Um, and the Eve Appeal is, it was set up to fund research into early detection and prevention of the gynecological cancers. So lots of charities and organisations are looking at cures and treatment of cancer. And of course, that is vital and literally life-saving but the eve appeal looks at what can be done to diagnose these cancers earlier or to even stop the cancers before they start um and then there's obviously the awareness raising that comes along with charity work and cancer 
you know, research. So I'm on the kind of more information and awareness side with a couple of other people. It's mostly fundraising for the research, but the information and awareness side is the fun side of the office, I like to think. <laughs> so we help people who write in and answer questions as for them. We kind of write pieces. Do lots of people write in with their questions? Yeah, I speak to... So if there's been, I mean, I was on Women's Hour today talking about my experience, don't want to brag. And so when people, when we're in kind of the media because of a piece of research or a campaign, people tend to call or write in a bit more because we're obviously in the press a bit more. So this afternoon I spoke to five or six ladies that called in with a variety of questions because they'd seen an article for a campaign that we're running at the moment called Get Lippy. So it means throughout May getting lippy, literally talking about gynecological cancers, looking at the, who the partners are, getting a lip product, wearing the lip product, putting it on social media and saying, I'm getting lippy, I'm talking about gyne health. Is that a big issue then that it's not being spoken about? I feel that it is being spoken about because it's my job to speak yeah. about it. But then I remember that that's because I'm very kind of proud about what I've gone yeah. through and really want to raise awareness and work for a gynae cancer charity on the information and awareness side exactly so in my opinion it's spoken about all the time but that's because I'm speaking about it all the time but in actual fact even kind of very close friends who know you know literally piece of cervix by piece of cervix what I've gone through might find it a bit uncomfortable if we're all sat around with a glass of wine and kind of I'll I'm the kind of annoying friend that's like, hi, Verity, what's your discharge like at the moment? (laughs) Or like, are you bloated? Because it's important to talk about it. Because if it's on people's radar, then they will spot if something abnormal is going on for them and hopefully can get it checked out sooner rather than later. Most of the time, it's nothing to worry about. It's something really small, like a little infection or bacteria or, you know, slight dietary problem it's not a gynae cancer I don't want people to listen to this and be freaked out but people are embarrassed to talk about our vaginas to say the word vagina to show a medical professional their their vulva their vagina be examined when they do a smear test or even when they're worried something's going wrong people don't know what normal bleeding is for them they don't kind of map their cycles or notice that a discharge smells a bit funny or they don't touch themselves like I, when I've gone and done talks and I'll say to um it's obviously mostly women that listen to these gyne talks hands up if you check your breasts luckily most women yeah. do put their hands up and we all have a good feel and we're kind of I think from kind of a teenage age kind of programmed to touch our boobs and feel for lumps and bumps yeah it's strange how that has become really normalized yeah, now exactly like do you check your boobs every week Karen that sounds true, <laughs> but you kind of like, you know, if you kind of have a fear of your boobs, yeah. it's kind of a normal thing. And then I'll ask the next question and say, and how many people check their vulvas and vaginas? And most of the time, hardly anybody puts their hands up because for some reason in our society, it's awkward mm-hmm. to raise your hand and say, hi, my name's Karen. And once every two weeks, I, in a non-sexual way, you can do it in a sexual way if you want to and get something out of it, put a couple of fingers inside my vagina and have a feel around to see if there are any lumps or bumps or kind of run my labia through my hands to see what my skin feels like. It's kind of awkward and a bit ooh, shocking to hear that for whatever reason, because it's naughty, because we're women and we shouldn't do that, because something's wrong with us if we, I don't know, masturbation's got a whole big taboo around it, even though it's not masturbating, but it can be if that's how you want to 
check yourself. So it's embarrassing to even talk about it, let alone to go to the doctor if there's a problem. And women are getting diagnosed at later stages with gynae cancers because they avoid the doctors because it's embarrassing or, oh, there's no pain. I didn't feel any pain. It was just a bit of blood. So the kind of the next Karen might think, oh, it doesn't really matter because I'm not in pain or, oh, I'm too busy. I haven't got time to go to the doctors or I'm too embarrassed to tell a doctor that I had sex. So the more we talk about it and have these kind of sometimes crude but very blunt chats and just say the words, call a vagina a vagina, know the difference between a vulva and vagina. Vagina is inside. It's literally got the word in in it, (laughs) vag in. uh. Um, I think hopefully we'll start to see a shift in how comfortable women and men are, because it's really important that men feel as comfortable, how comfortable kind of everybody is talking about gynae issues and then in turn get problems sorted out before something really kind of awful and shit happens so the message is be aware of what is normal for you yeah know your normal so you or i will have different looking and smelling oh my god discharge and our period blood will look different we'll feel bloated at different times of the month we'll you know like your labia might look different to mine that's fine but when something different or something changes for you, for me, whatever that change may be, again, it'll be different for us, then that's the time to think, okay, I might phone ask Eve and check, should I go to the doctors? But get it checked out because, oh my God, a doctor would so much rather examine you, send you for a test and it be nothing at all than give you bad news. Like doctors see this all day, every day. There is absolutely no reason to be embarrassed um, or ashamed. It's normal and just look after yourself. Great. So we'll keep the conversation going with Get Lippy. Yes. And move on to your fifth and final beauty fifth moment. And final. My Drum fifth and roll, final please. beauty moment. My fifth and final beauty moment. So the moment is when I saw um, the... So I've loved when I used to wear NARS foundation. I loved their Sheer Glow Mont Blanc. But then just decided, as you know, not to wear foundation anymore. Oh, yes. Don't need it, yeah, whatever. Exactly, but I do love NARS Sheer Glow Mont Blanc. If they want to send me a sample, that's fine. <laughs> um, I'll let Verity have my address. Or just if I feel unique, you know, whatever's cool. Um, and I really love their products, and I find that they're quite dewy, and they give you kind of, they tend to give you a very nice glow. And my housemate, Sally, um, had the Orgasm Blusher, and I tried it, loved it, but then thought... Oh, it's a little bit expensive, even though I'm completely for slightly pricier products if they're worth it. But I kind of thought I can't personally justify spending that much money on a blusher. But then I saw that there was the three-in-one stick, the shimmer stick, and then there was an orgasm illuminator. And I thought, I'm not going to spend like 60, 70 quid on these three things. But then I saw that there was a deal on for about... I think it's like 45 50 pounds where you've got all three mm-hmm. it's like the three in one orgasm and the i was dream. yeah the dream isn't that what every girl wants like three orgasms at once and i was looking at it and thought i really want to buy it because it's discounted and i love a bargain mm-hmm. and i really know i'll love all three products i know it'll look great on me because the blusher did but i just couldn't quite justify spending a whole kind of meal with a friend in a nice restaurant yeah. on a bit of cheek product 
So I was just talking to my boyfriend about it and said, oh my God, this is so funny. It's called orgasm. Ha ha. You know, thought he'd like a bit of sexual banter as a lad. And, you know, look at these orgasms, Richard. From Tinder, by the way. I'm very pro-Tinder. Didn't work in New York very well, worked in London. And um, you know, just said, ha ha, look at this. And he ordered it for me. And he said, I've ordered you the NARS kit. I've got you a three in one orgasm. Yeah, and he said, Karen, I've got you three orgasms. And I was like, yeah, but when's the makeup arriving? (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? Cheesy. But love it, a bit of cheese, yes. So yeah, he bought it for me and I couldn't believe it because he hasn't got loads of money either. And it was a really nice thoughtful gift i mean fair enough i you know shown it to him so it wasn't like oh what can i get karen to make her feel special but he knew that it was something i wanted couldn't quite justify spending the money on myself but he knew that it would you know be a real good pick me up because like nice products make you feel good when you have your hair cut or colored or have your nails filed you feel better Yeah, yeah you just feel fresh and spruced and there's a spring in your step when you know that you've got a little something new or extra about you, whether it's an orgasm or, you know, whatever. I love NARS. I love the name of NARS products, by the way. Yeah, they're hilarious. They're so good. Um, so, yeah, he, he got it for me. And I thought he's realised that, I mean, obviously I deserve it. But all joking aside, he thought she deserves this. She deserves a treat, a nice product. She's worth it, which is really lovely and thoughtful and, you know, more than any other boyfriend had ever better than done. Oh, my God, exactly. It was, like, literally the nicest thing any boyfriend had done for me it was amazing which kind of says a lot about my romantic history but <laughs> but a blusher tipped yeah. me over the edge I was like let's when get let's get married I've chosen the, the venue already but don't really tell. I'll tell you afterwards I'll tell you afterwards baby secret she too yeah I know Karen's I wedding Karen's wedding <laughs> imagine if you were like live from Karen yeah. Hobbs's wedding um and so the moment so the product is the NARS three-in-one mm. orgasm kit um that I think is probably still on offer and but the kind of the moment is or the lesson learned is that I should love myself as much as other people love me getting profound now getting profound not that I think everybody loves me that sounds really big-headed but if somebody can show yeah. you a huge amount of love and show that you are special to them that you mean a lot to them I think it's really important I think we're I mean I can only speak from my perspective but I think lots of people are way too hard on themselves and sometimes little things like your boyfriend buying you an expensive blusher can make you think no, I'm, I am worth this. Yeah. Like, I deserve a treat every now and then. And I think we should all learn to love ourselves as much as others love us. I think it's important. What a lovely note to end on. That worked How out profound well. that, that did, didn't fun. it? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks for having me. So if people want to find out more about the Eve Appeal... Mm-hmm. They just go online. Yep, so it's eveappeal.org.uk. If you go onto any social media and put hashtag getlippy, L-I-P-P-Y, you can see what the kind of events we've been doing and the campaigns and the products involved and how to get involved and do your own kind of get lippy post and talk about gynae cancers. So yes, eveappeal.org.uk. Call or email the Ask Eve service if you have a gynae question and hashtag getlippy for the month of May. Right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Go and get lippy. We're going to go and discuss Karen's wedding. Yay! We've got a wedding plan. Yay! Yay. Right. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.